0: Here's a five-star review we received on Apple Podcasts. Life-changing. This podcast was the catalyst to me being able to identify what truly went on in my seven-year marriage and how to set boundaries for my own safety. Thank you. When we say safety here at BTR, we're talking about emotional and psychological safety. Most people think of physical safety, but really, safety starts with emotional and psychological safety. Anyway, thank you for that review, and thank you to all of you who have given us a review. Kate, a member of our community, is back with me today. We're going to continue our conversation about victim-blaming modalities. We're talking about a few, and then we're going to cover some more next week as well. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, do that first. Kate and I have been talking for a few weeks, so you might want to back it up a few episodes if you haven't heard those, and then join us here, because we're just going
1: to jump right in to where we left off. So these last three are actually my favorite. They're Salcombe Syndrome learned helplessness, and protopendency.
0: All right, let's talk about those. I think everyone knows what Stockholm Syndrome is, but if they don't, will you remind everyone?
1: Okay, so Stockholm Syndrome. A lot of people thought that Elizabeth Smart had Stockholm Syndrome. So when somebody says Stockholm Syndrome, sometimes we think of people like Elizabeth Smart when we're like, why didn't she get away? She had so many opportunities to get away. Why didn't she escape? And it's like, oh, it's because she had Stockholm Syndrome. Turns out the whole diagnosis is bogus. It has no foundation whatsoever, no truth in it whatsoever. It is only a way to blame victims and make them sound crazy because their choices aren't making sense to the rest of the world. It is insane.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Elizabeth Smart, there was an article in the Deseret News just recently about her talking about that and how harmful it was to her as a child for people to be saying, why didn't you just get away? You know, what what happened? And how those types of comments were just so hurtful to her and so difficult for her to hear because she's a victim and she did
1: whatever she could to survive. So the history of Stockholm syndrome. So it was made up in 1973 by psychiatrist Nils Bajero. So he was helping the police during a bank robbery which resulted in about four people being taken hostage and the police botched it completely from the very, very start. They put the hostages in danger. They were very, very reckless and the hostages were actually more scared of the police than the bank robbers. The bank robbers were actually pretty nice. Um, That's not to say, oh, what they did is okay. I'm not saying that they were like, okay, people that like, oh, they're innocent. No, no, no. What they were doing is still pretty messed up. But according to the hostages, they're like, the police are actually putting our lives more in danger than even the bank robbers. And so they had one of the hostages, Kristen Enmark. is amazing. She's a therapist now. And from the very beginning, she was very outspoken to the police. She called the radio stations and try and say, get the police off, tell them to stop. They need to stop and let us go and we will be safe. Like, the bank robbers are letting us call our families. They, they just want to get away. They will not harm us. She talked to the radio station two times. Police still didn't listen. They actually ended up hanging up on her at one point. They, they were just treating her like crap. She even talked to the prime minister and was like, help us. Help us leave. We'll be fine. Please get the police off of our backs. This was in Stockholm. Hence Stockholm syndrome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, and what happened was there is this, a psychiatrist who was helping the police at the time. She didn't want to talk to him. And so then he decided to make up this brand new syndrome. Why? Because, oh, she was acting too crazy because she wasn't like cooperating with the police. And, And she was angry with the police when we're just trying to help her, you know? And, and so there must be something wrong with her. So he decided to come up with Stockholm syndrome oh she has Stockholm syndrome the interesting thing is she has never spoken to this guy ever and he diagnosed her with something he has never even spoken to her about it doesn't make any sense
0: because her side of the story I think you've told me about this before her side of the story is that they weren't on the side of the bank robbers they knew that the bank robbers were like not the best people in the world, but they just were trying to get to safety and the police were making it worse.
1: Yes. Yes. And the bank robbers were being nice. She has a YouTube video. And if you actually listen to her first account of story, everything that they did made complete sense. Nothing they did was like, Oh my gosh, why did they not try to escape or why? No, no. It makes hundred percent sense. It was for survival but she wasn't acting like the good little victim that the police wanted her to. She wasn't fitting the mold of what a victim should look like. And they were upset with it. And so then basically he made this whole syndrome up. It got spread around. I mean, who has not heard of Stockholm syndrome? Everyone has heard of it. And it's not even real. It's not even based on any facts at all. They thought, Oh, she has Stockholm syndrome. There must be something wrong with her. And Now it's being stamped on victims all around the world. Elizabeth Smart, you got Natasha Cambush. It's basically a way to silence victims and pathologize them for normal behaviors in order to make them look unstable. And Enmark even stated once, like, the syndrome is a condition of illness. I became stamped as ill and thus not credible. Whereas I just, I love this story so much. They have recordings of her on the radio and even talking to the prime minister and her voice is so calm. Oh, you can tell she's smart and she knows what she's talking about. She's not like somebody who's like freaking out and like, doesn't understand. No, like she knows what she's talking about. She's like, get us out of here. Let us go. It's just sad that they then said she had a syndrome and then made her not credible in order to fit their mold of what they think a woman should or should not react
0: Well, and misogyny is the foundation there because how could this woman know better than the police? Yeah, exactly. And all these men and this psychiatrist, how could she know better about what to do? She must be crazy.
1: Exactly. Because here they are like, oh, we're just trying to help you and you're mad at us. Oh, boo-hoo. And she's like, you're not listening to me. This is not the
0: issue.
1: You're not helping. You're going to get us killed. Stop it. (laughs) Um. And they, they messed up on so many different things. Like they even brought in one of the bank robber's brothers. Turns out not to be his brother.
0: <laughs> well, it was all a cover up to make sure that they weren't accountable. It was to make her accountable instead.
1: Exactly. They blamed it all on her. Oh, well, this doesn't make sense. And so she must be the problem. And this has happened to Elizabeth Smart. Even Elizabeth Smart said, like, nobody should ever question why you didn't do something. They have no idea what they would have done. And they certainly have no right to judge you. Everything I did, I did to survive. And Natasha Cambush said, looking for normality within the framework of a crime is not a syndrome. But people get annoyed when I say that. (laughs) I just, I love all these. There's no example of like Stockholm syndrome that actually is legit. Because if you go and look at why they did what they did, it makes sense. There's nothing wrong with them.
0: Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation.
1: So these last three were your favorites. What were the other two? Learned helplessness. Oh, that one's... So have you heard of this? I have, yeah. Okay, what is your understanding of it?
0: It's very similar to Stockholm Syndrome. It's like that it's her fault because she could have done more about it or she could have done something, but she chose to be helpless because somehow it benefited her or something. Is that your understanding? Maybe mine's totally messed up. Never mind. Maybe I don't know about it.
1: Kind of. No, see, that's that's what I used to think too. I was like, learned helplessness. Like, oh, she like learned how to be helplessness. Because I mean, that's what it sounds like, right? And I'm like, how is that victim blaming? You know, like the what? No. And um, I just happened to stumble on this and reading the background to it. And I'm like, oh, crap. No, this is bad. (laughs) I'm so excited to be educated. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So learned helplessness is actually a term coined by psychologist Martin Sellyman. He wanted to understand depression. And so he ended up doing this study where he took dogs and you've heard of Pavlov's dogs and all the studies he did done dogs. So he kind of took things similar to that. So he took these dogs and put them in these Pavlov slings and it looks like a, a hammock with their feet sticking out. And he attached electrodes to their hind legs. And then he had the electrodes deliver an inescapable in shock to half of the dogs. And the ones that got the shock are called the yoked group. He then took the yoke group and put them in in a shuttle box with an electrified floor and half the wall in the middle and continued shocking them in hopes that the yoke group would jump over the wall, which would end the shock. So if they jumped over, they wouldn't be shocked anymore. But what he found interesting was that 60% of the dogs just whimpered and yelped and then eventually lay down during the entire parts of the shock, the 60 seconds of shock, and didn't try to escape his conclusion was that the reason that the yoke dogs didn't jump over was because they had learned to be helpless. And so some people might think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Right? Like, right. Like, okay, I can understand that. Yeah. The dogs didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't feel like they had anywhere to go. So they just laid down and whimpered and great. Although I do find it interesting that he mentions in his study that when the door to the shuttle box, it's just a, it's just a box. So when the door to the box is open, the dogs did try to run out. Uh, but for some reason, he doesn't consider that escaping. I, I don't I don't know why. Because that sounds like escape to me. Like, <laughs> if a dog's going to try to run out of the box, then that is escaping. So they've done similar studies in, with rats and monkeys, and they even try to do it with humans. And then, which is like most problems, then they try to apply this to abuse victims.
0: Women are not rats, and women are not dogs women are women. So, yeah.
1: Exactly. And they, they've done this study with humans too. And the humans were like, well, I can't escape the shock. So why am I going to try? Like they they shocked the hand. They're like, well, i I can't, I can't control it. So why try, which to me, sounds like logical thing. You literally can't do it. So then they try to apply this to victims and saying, oh, they, the victim learned helplessness.
0: Wait, wait. So, so instead of just saying they were acting logically for the situation they were in, they couldn't get out and they knew they couldn't get out. So they just kind of sat there. He's saying they should have done more to get out, even though they couldn't get
1: out. It's not entirely saying this. They're trying to explain why the abuse victims don't leave. Not that they like should have gotten out, but they're like, oh, this is why they don't leave. Like, so then they try to play
0: The number one reason why women don't leave abusive relationships is because they don't know they're in one. That's the number one reason. But anyway.
1: Or it's forced. Yeah, exactly. It's not because, oh, they have learned helplessness. No, it's it's quite ridiculous. So they even did this study with a a classroom full of kids and they gave half the kids a test where that was actually answerable. And then the other half didn't. So they were like, oh, try to solve this problem. And half of them were able to solve it. And so they were like, okay, who was able to solve number one? And everyone raised their hand. So all the kids that weren't able to solve it, the teacher asked asked them, so how did that make you feel? And they were like, well, I felt stupid. I feel like I couldn't do it. I felt like, and she's like, this is learned helplessness. And basically the cause of you feeling the way you're feeling is because of learned helplessness. And I'm just like, the cause is because you rigged the study and did it to them. The reason why they're feeling the way they're feeling isn't because they have learned helplessness. The reason is because you're abusing them. (laughs) That's the cause. The cause isn't learned helplessness. The cause is you did it. You're doing it to them. Why are you blaming the victim? Like, oh, it's because the victim has learned helplessness. It's like, no, you're doing it to them. You're the cause.
0: (laughs) So let me restate. They did a study abusing dogs and not letting them get out. And then they said that it was their fault that they couldn't get out when they rigged the study to do that in the first place.
1: Basically. Oh, the reason that you're like this is because you have learned helplessness, not because I force you to be in this like, position. That is insane. It is insane. Okay.
0: I didn't know that. I'm really grateful that you brought that up. Okay. That's really dumb.
1: It is insane. And that's another one that goes under the radar where a lot of people hear it and you hear the words learned helplessness and you think it's innocent because you're like, well, I do feel helpless. And, you know, and so they think it's legit because that's what I thought. But then you go and look at actually what it means. And it's just another label that is implying that it's somehow your fault because you're helpless.
0: In fact, some really prominent sex addiction people are using that. Yeah. Okay, and to conclude, let's talk about that last one that you that we're going to talk. We didn't talk in detail about every single one of these modalities or these theories of victim blaming. Let's just conclude with this last one.
1: This last one is pro dependency.
0: Okay, this one is ridiculous because it's saying codependent was bad, but pro dependent is the exact same thing, but it's just good, but it's still a little bad,
1: <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. I've done a lot of research on protopendency. I've read the book. I have listened to tons of YouTube videos. Yeah. And I have read tons of articles. Really?
0: Okay. That's way more than me.
1: Okay. So you educate me about it. So there is this thing called protopendency. It's by Rob Weiss. And basically, yes, he claims that codependency is bad. Protopendency is good. I agree. Codependency is bad. I think it's crap. Even once I'm said, like, F codependency. I just start giggling because I'm like, I agree with you there. You know, I feel like this is kind of a, another example of men trying to make up labels for women. Okay. So here he claims it's not a label. He says, codependency cannot be a label. It's not a label. But then he says, The craziness of someone you might call codependent, I would call them protopendent. I'm like, You just, that sounds like a label to me.
0: You just, use a label if you're not going to use a the label then you would say this is a healthy woman who's reacting in normal ways that's to not
1: pathologize it right that's what you would say okay yeah okay so and then the reason why he's against codependency is because it pathologizes women right so he's against that and then he turns around and talks about how he likes co-addiction <laughs> which literally by definition pathologizes women whoa, 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 whoa he
0: says i don't like codependence but i like co-addiction." What? They mean the exact same
1: thing. Word for word. He he says the word codependency came from a word that Claudia Black named in the 70s, which I really liked and thought was great. And the idea was co-addiction because where I think codependency goes wrong is it doesn't say I'm obsessed and addicted with my husband's drinking problem. I can't get the drinking off my mind. That's co-addiction where I just feel driven and focus on the problem, blah, 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 blah. And then he says like. I don't stick by you as a co-addict because there's something wrong with me. I may stick with you as a co-addict because I learned how to stick by people in my childhood and so I know how to do it, but that's not pathology. And I'm like, no, that literally is pathology.
0: You know what it seems like happening? He knows codependent is bad, right? This is what I think. And then they're, they can't figure it out. They're like, okay, codependency is bad, so why are these women doing what they're doing? I don't know. They're not victims. We can't make them victims. So how can I rationalize this? How can I like twist everything to make it still their responsibility or make it still have something to do with them or make it still so that they have some kind of problem? Because otherwise you just say, no, they're totally normal. They're reacting in a totally normal way
1: to being abused. That's all you have to say. And the weird thing is that sometimes he does allude to that. This is like the confusion of the whole entire sex addiction industry is like, I don't blame you. He actually did use the word abuse. I think once where yes, yes, these people are being abused. Okay. So he did acknowledge that like, oh, it's not your fault. It's not this. And then he mentions you have co-addiction or he's like, I certainly think Al-Anon is a wonderful program. And Al-Anon, by the way, never implied that you were addicted to your husband or wife. And I'm like, yes, it did. (laughs) It said that you're diseased. Elanon says that you have a disease too, just like your disease spouse. It, exactly. It's just, he says these things and they're so contradicting. Like he even says codapency is a trauma-based theory. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a disease-based theory. And he's like, that's a trauma-based theory and that's not right. That's why codependency is an attachment-based theory. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You end up like listening to it and you're like, I'm so confused right now. He's like
0: running around in circles
1: because part of codependency, part of why victims
0: like it is because it gives them some sort of semblance of control. Like, okay, well, if I do this, I can kind of control what he does rather than boundaries that like literally you're like, I don't want to set this boundary because he could just do anything. Right. And that's really, really scary. So it's sort of like he wants to give them Some control. He kind of wants to, like,
1: quote unquote, empower them, but he's not because he's not telling them the truth. He basically just wants to keep half of the codependency model, he knows he can't call it that anymore because the word is too offensive. And it's like, no, the model is offensive, not just the word. The whole model is offensive. One of the things he even says about codependency that he doesn't like is that it automatically assumes that the wife is coming from a traumatic place. That's why he thinks it's a trauma-based model that like, oh, you must have childhood trauma that led you to this person. But then he goes on to say that, well, yeah, betrayed partners, they do Perpetuate and facilitate the disease. They do have childhood trauma, and you are attracted to someone who is just as dysfunctional as you. Literally, he has a chapter called Twos Don't Marry Sevens because he believes that. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. He believes that you will not end up with a person who has a higher emotional intelligence than you. And I'm like, what does that say for every one of us who married addicts? Are you kidding me?
0: What that says is if two can't marry sevens, that is so offensive, like numbering people or whatever, but number one. But then that also means that someone who is healthy could never, ever be victimized by abuse. So the only people that are victims of abuse. are are very unhealthy, you know, problemed people, which I don't agree with at all. Anyone can be victimized. They they can be lied to, they can be manipulated and not understand that it's happening to them because they are a victim. We're going to pause right here. Like I said in the beginning, Kate will be back again next week for our final episode about victim blaming modalities. She is such an advocate for victims. I appreciate her so much. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.